remember being in a service once as a kid and asking my mom, why do we lift our hands in worship? She gave me the best answer that still resonates today. She said, when you get pulled over by the cops, what do they do sometimes? They tell you to raise your hands. They say, she said, it's an act of surrender. It, it, it's an act of saying, God, I got nothing right now. I'm, I'm, I surrender my time. I surrender my life. I surrender my attention right now to the one that is holy. If you don't mind, if you're comfortable in doing this, as we close our worship time, would you lift your hands and surrender to God? Father, we position ourselves, we posture ourselves and surrender to you. Disrupt us, God. Speak to us, God. Don't let us walk out of here the same that we've walked in here, God. We want to be more like you. Bring life today. Open our ears and our hearts to what you want to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Let's give the worship team a hand as you're seated. Thank you, guys. Well, how's everyone doing? Five people, that's okay. How are we doing? <laughs> I want to welcome everyone, man. Uh, my name's Jake. I get the pleasure to serve here on the team. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. If you're tuning in online, thanks for tuning in. Um, we've been doing a series of talks um, for the last couple of weeks based off of something that happened about a month and a half ago. If this is your first time here, uh, we had a uh, weekend service where Pastor John was talking about shame. And at the end of the service, we encouraged everyone, if there was something that was in your life that you were ashamed about or that you carried shame uh, from big to small, whatever it is, just to, to write it out on a piece of paper. And then at the end of service, as we all exited, we had this kind of wall that we had built that everyone was, was able to put that and, and, and significantly and symbolically lay it at the cross and say, God, I'm, I don't carry this anymore. And uh, as, a, as a staff, we took some of those things and we told you we, we shredded them and, and, and we did do that. But before that, we spent some time praying over them um, as your pastors um, and, and really considering like what, where is the status, where are we at as, as a church body. And there were many uh, things that came up that, that kind of resonated and, and all kind of um, had familiar undertones with, with probably some people that you don't even know or was struggling with the same kind of shame. And what we decided to do is, is really build a series where we could talk about the root issues of some of these things that we saw, not the symptoms themselves. How many of you know a, a bad doctor will just treat symptoms, right? They'll just say, okay, well, this is a cough and, and not look any deeper. We'll just treat that. But a good doctor looks at the root, looks at the cause and treats the cause itself. Because we could, we could be up here and do a series all year long talking about the symptoms themselves, okay? But, but if we have an opportunity to get to the root, then I think we can, um, be, we can find more life in that. Does that make sense? And um, so we've, we've been doing this. And if you missed last week, um, Pastor Kate talked about identity, and it was incredible, it was, if you have missed it, you need to download it. You need to listen to it five times. 
because it is that and and to be honest it is it is a part one to this message if you if you haven't i want to talk to you about temptation okay and if you haven't dealt with identity then temptation will okay matthew records jesus being tempted luke uh, records Jesus being tempted. Right before Matthew goes into the story and the narrative of Jesus being tempted, he gives uh, the story of Jesus getting baptized. Do you remember the story? God rips open the heavens at this time, and he says, you are my son who I am well pleased with. What's he doing? He's giving him his identity. He's reinforcing this identity before he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. In Luke, he doesn't record that story. Instead, right before the temptation of Jesus, he actually gives the genealogy of Jesus. Once again, just saying identity, knowing your identity before walking into, into temptation in these seasons of temptation is so critical. And so if you haven't listened to it, man, I want to encourage you to do so. Um, but today I want to talk about temptations. I want to talk about cravings. I want to talk about lust. I want to talk about appetites. I want to talk about desires. And because I want to talk about these things, I've given you a bag of Skittles. <laughs> Did everyone get a bag of Skittles coming in? Yes, hopefully you got that. You're going to want to hold on to that because that's going to represent something as we move along here. Now, as we talk about temptations and cravings and desires, if you're pregnant in here, none of this applies to you, okay? You get free reign. <laughs> Come on, we've got to have a little fun here. <laughs> um, so we want to talk about this. Have you ever, has anyone ever struggled with temptation? Yeah, you better raise your hand. <laughs> you better raise your hand, right? I know this is the holy service, but come on. We've all been there before. We've all struggled with small temptations, big temptations, uh, cravings that we can name and, and desires that we can list big and small. And there's times when some of us even struggle with this. We're, we're ongoing with it. It's that same temptation that the enemy brings time and time again. Have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever been discouraged? Because the same temptation, the same cravings, the same desire just seem to keep coming up. I think we've all been there. Today, today is about equipping you. Today is about you taking a step towards God, making one extra step. I want to I equip you to better walk out of here ready to engage desire, cravings, appetites. Now, uh, to do this, we're going to start in the book of James. So Jesus, uh, his brother, wrote this book, and it was addressed to the church itself, so it's very applicable to us today. And James talks about this idea of being tempted, uh, and he paints a beautiful picture in two parts. And, and I want to show it to you. Uh, the, it's found in James chapter 3 here. Or sorry, James chapter 1, verse 14. And this is what he says. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. Desire. Uh, epithemia. That's the Greek word. Everyone say epithemia. epithemia. You're now experts in Greek, Okay. So he's enticed by his own desire, and then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to what? Sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So James first kind of gives us this imagery of um, organic growth, that uh, temptation, desire, um, it, it's this thing that starts out small. We know this, right? We've, we've experienced it. It starts out small. 
seemingly unknowing, but then it gives birth to something larger and then larger and then larger until the final fruit of it is, is death. And, and I think many of us here have experienced that. And here's the thing about this is we tend to think it just individually, right? Like if I'm being tempted, I give in to that sin or whatever, and it builds and then it produces death that it's just gonna be my life. But how many of you know that's not the truth? It affects the people around us. It affects our families. It affects our church sometimes. This is, this is the idea of this full fruit, the harvest of death is what this small little, small little thing of temptation and desire starts out with but then grows into the next thing that he kind of paints the picture of is this idea of luring, right? <clears throat> I've got a, yeah, oh yeah, it's going to get good today. So James is giving us this image of, of um, the enemy setting out and, and luring us, um, enticing us in many ways. Let's try and get this right here. Um, how many of you got your Skittles? Yeah. How many like Skittles, by the way? A lot of us. Who hates Skittles? I mean, come on. So I want to show you the, the image that, that James is giving us here, okay? It's this idea. Now, now you have Skittles, right? You have Skittles. I want, I want you to see. Do we have the screen? Let's, let's get it right on the front screen there. Now, 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 look. Her focus is on God, right? Like, you're all intent. God, I love you with all my heart. And then the enemy just comes in. Am I, am I right? And, and then he goes, okay, well, all right, it didn't work. Um, how about um, a $50 bill? How about that? Oh, she didn't go for that one. Let's, let's see if this works. Is it legal to rip a, dollar, a $50 bill? I don't know. Right? And so, okay, the Skittles didn't work. How about, how about this one? <laughs> there, there we go. My wife took it in last night's service. So, <laughs> Are you seeing the imagery here, though? Right? It's this idea of, of luring. And, and if you've grown up in America in the last 50 years, this is really what it's like. Am I right? I mean, just every, everywhere you turn, you just... Like billboards, just everywhere I go, it's, it's right in front. Am I right? <laughs> what do we do? How do you live in a world? How do you successfully follow Christ with all your heart when everywhere you turn, man, the enemy is luring you and these desires are always in front of us? Well, to unpack this, we got to go to the book of Genesis and we're going to look at two stories to really figure out how to best uh, take a stance against desires and temptations. Um, the first story that we're going to look at is the story of Adam and Eve. We all know it so well. Um, they're placed in a garden, a perfect garden, and the only thing that is off limits is what? <clears throat> the trees, right? The fruits, the, the two trees that he gives them. And uh, we know that everything would be different if they had said no to this, right? <laughs> it would be a lot different. We wouldn't have sin and struggle. But it didn't happen that way. A serpent comes in and begins a conversation. And I want to show you this conversation because I think it pertains to what we're talking about. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. It says, but the serpent said to the woman. So if someone says something, what are you doing? 
You're listening, right? Okay, so you're engaging in your, in your ears. And this is what he says. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, all right? So this, you will be just like him in stature, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw, listen to this, how do you see? You look, right? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be what? There's that word again, desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So there's much debate on what exactly was the fruit that Eve ate exactly? And theologians have argued this for, man, centuries, for thousands and thousands of years. Some say it's a pomegranate. Some say it's, it was an apple. Others say it was grapes. Um, I've done thorough study, though, and I found out what it was on the tree that tempted Eve. It was <clears throat> a bag of Skittles. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Taste the rainbow, baby. <laughs> Skittles, right? It was the thing that was lured in front of her. It was that thing she was told not to eat, but something happened, something triggered, something uh, was engaged in her life. She was seeing, uh, it was like every part of her senses were engaged, right? She was seeing, she was desiring, she could smell, touch, hear. I mean, it was all happening right then and there. But I want to show you something in contrast that just a couple chapters before kind of explained this situation before a serpent came along. <clears throat> chapter 2, just, just a chapter before, says this, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and Eden is another word for delight. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> Come on, are you guys awake? Is that a good thing? Yeah, right? I'd love to live in a place called Delight. Um, God planted him in a garden called Delight, and in the east, and there, was, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is what? Pleasant to the sight and good for food. This was the status. This was the world that they lived in. Every tree was good to eat. Every tree that they looked at was pleasant to look at and pleasant to taste. It was only when the enemy came in and said, it's not good enough. You should have more. You could have more. Now, I want to show you this in contrast because it really gives us uh, help in finding out the root, the root, the DNA of sin and temptation. And, and it's talked about in 1 John. Check this out. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, or verse 15 through 17. This is what John writes. He says, he's talking about sin here and temptations, desires. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, okay, listen to these. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its what? Desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I want, you to, I want you to notice this because every sin, every temptation that you've ever faced in your life, and I want you to think about it, has these three ingredients that John talks about. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
Every temptation has some form of this. The desire of the eyes is, is you look at it and you go, ah, that looks good. I want that. I need that. The desire of the flesh is something that, that could be lust, right? It could be, I just need to, to, to satisfy this craving inside. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's drugs. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's wealth. I don't know. Status, popularity. It says, oh, I want this so bad. And the other ingredient is the pride of life. Now, go to the next verse. Genesis, remember, this is what happens. This is what, so when the woman saw Eve that the tree was good for food, the desire of the eyes, and that it was a desire of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the desire of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one what? Wise, to be like God. Desire has its root in these things. Look at Jesus. When he was tempted in the desert, <laughs> he's brought in, he's fasting for 40 days. The enemy goes, here's some food, <laughs> right? The desire of the eyes. I want to eat this bag of Skittles. <laughs> here's this bag. Just eat the bag of Skittles. It's okay, right? And he says, look at all these kingdoms. I'm, I can give you these kingdoms. I'll give you all of them, the, the, the desire of the flesh. I can give you the control. Everyone could look at you and say, he's the ruler of all. And then thirdly, what he put, brings him up to the temple, and he says, just throw yourself off, and all the angels will come and grab you. And, and you don't have to die on a cross for them to know that you're God. You could just have angels come and grab you and float down, and everyone will see that's the son of God. That's the pride of life. All of our temptations, all of our desires are rooted in these three things. You see, to be fair to Eve, there was a fourth character that was there. And it's a character that's in your story too. It's in my story. It's not a character of flesh. You won't see him. You won't necessarily talk to him. But it's a person. It is definitely something that is always there. And his name is desire. Desire gives us those whispers, desire gives us those temptations. Desires have four characteristics that I want to show you this morning, and I think you'll resonate with it. It'll, it'll, here's four things about desire. Number one, desire only has one word in its vocabulary, more. Right? Appetites, it just says what? More. More. It's not good just what you have. You don't have to be just satisfied. Just more. Just more. Second thing is, God created desire, but sin distorted him. So you say, is desire, no, desire is a God-given thing. God wired you that way, but only under the influence of sin do we see desire go bad. And, and, and so it twists it, it makes it, <clears throat> desire can be a good thing, can't it? But when it puts itself above your relationship, remember the 72 disciples uh, in the gospel, who, who, who Jesus sends out, and he's like, I, I give you authority to cast out demons. Go do it. And they, they all go to it, and they come back to Jesus to report. And they're like, dude, it was so awesome, bro. I mean, demons were just coming out of all kinds of people, just, just like this, right? And they're just stoked. They're like, we're the man. <laughs> like, we're the man. And what, do you remember Jesus' reaction? He says, he says, oh, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> like, you know, I, that's the trump card right there. Like, oh, yeah? I saw Satan fall like lightning one day. And he says this, don't be prideful, don't be caught up in the fact that you can cast out demons. Rejoice that your name is in the book of life. 
Rejoice that it's about the relationship. Is it a bad thing? No, no, no. Being able to cast out demons, that's a good thing. But desire, when it's in the wrong place, influenced by sin, can lead us astray. <clears throat> Here's the second thing, or third thing. Desire always promises what it can't deliver. How many of you think, think about that in your life? How many times is desire uh, in your mind, oh man, if I just have this, if I can just you know, get to this income, if I can just have this car, if I can just have this status, if I can just have this one night stand, I'll, I'll feel fine and everything will be great after that. Desire will always promises what it can't deliver. It will never, think about this, every desire outside of your desire for, for God will never fully and finally be satisfied. It won't be. Just think about it. Every desire you have, we live in a fallen world. And, and, and its result is, is ultimate death. Like that's, that's everything at the end of the day will die at some point. Hopefully to be resurrected, to be brought into new life. But all your desires that you have will never fully and finally be satisfied. But desire says, oh yeah, it can. But it doesn't. It never delivers. Next, number four, the last one. Desire always whispers now, never later. How, how many of you experienced this before? Desire says, no, 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 you don't put it off. You, you need this now. Just now, 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 it whispers to us. And this character is in our story so many times. And here's the thing, church, you gotta listen to this. How you respond to desire, how you respond to this character in your story, how you respond to appetites will determine the direction in your life. I don't think you heard me. Okay, listen. How you respond when desire approaches itself in your life will determine the direction that you... Think about the, the people in your life. The person who one time gave in to that desire, that appetite, one time, and it changed the course of their life. This church, if we don't get this, nothing else will matter. Nothing else matters. If, you, if we do not do this successfully, you, it has the potential to change your future, to change your status in your family. It has the potential to put you off course. If we don't get this, your response to it, your response to desire and appetite in your life will ultimately determine your direction in life, for good or bad. I want to take you to the story in Genesis chapter 25. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. It's the birth of the Israelite nation, really. <clears throat> and here's uh, what's interesting is uh, Isaac and Rebekah, they have two boys. They're twins, Jacob and Esau. And before I get into the scripture, there's one thing you've got to understand about the story to really give you context for the weight or the value of the thing that's really talked about in this. And I'll be honest, this is one of those stories that has bugged me forever. It's one of those stories in the Bible that you read and you're like, am I not getting the context of this? Do I not understand life like in those days? Because this seems so weird to me, the decisions that were made in this story. But to understand it, you've got to understand what a birthright is, okay? Now, you may say, I know what a birthright is. You know, the firstborn always gets the birthright. There's three things you got to know about a birthright that give more context to the story uh, to, to better understand it, and it's this. <clears throat> first, if you were the firstborn, you got the birthright. It, pro not, it provided for you financially. You were set for life. Everyone in the family got some inheritance, but if you had the birthright, if you were the firstborn, you got two to three times what everyone else got. 
How many firstborns in here? That'd be a good life, wouldn't it? <laughs> so financially, you're set. Like You don't have any worries about money anymore just because you have the birthright. Another thing is it gives you power. So what do you mean by that? Uh, any decision, any problems that happen as a family, you're sitting at the seat of authority. You're the one, as the one carrying the birthright, that gets to make the final decision on things. You get the power, right? You get the authority to do these things. That's a pretty big weight. And then last, and the, 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 probably the most uh, powerful is the favor of God. The favor of God rested on your life. It, this was huge. So you could see, uh, having the birthright is a pretty big deal, right? Would you say that uh, if you had a birthright, that you'd be sitting pretty good in life? Yes. All the younger siblings were like, yeah, that'd be nice. I like that. Um, so here's the story. Jacob and Esau, they're brothers. Esau's the oldest, and he naturally has the, the birthright. And we're told about this rare, weird kind of story and it's found in Genesis chapter 25. And here's what it says. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was Edom and Edom is, is it means red, okay, for the red stew. Now, there's been much debate of what is this red lentil stew that they're eating. Um, for me, there's no question about it. If you study the scriptures, you'll find what stew this was. <laughs> we can have fun in church, right? <laughs> and so Esau comes in, right? And, and Jacob's in. He's mm, got some nice stew going here. Nice. Who likes red Skittles? Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good, right? And he's, uh, this is good stuff. And Esau comes in. He's exhausted, it says. He says, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. And so here's Jacob's response to this. Instead of being a loving brother <laughs> and saying, sure, you can have some, he makes a request. And this is what he asks in the next verse. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now? Is, now, does this sound crazy? Like, knowing what a birthright is, this is, this is what bugged me for so long. It was just like, this is the stupidest deal ever in the history of trades and deals. Why in the world would Jacob ever even ask for a birthright? Like, for a, for a bowl of red stew? Come on. Sell me your birthright. And, and I was so confused about this. How could he even ask, and, and how was this even a possibility? Until I saw my boys, my two younger boys, do something, and the light bulb went off. I was like, okay. Now, see, here, here's what I know, okay? How many of you have siblings, grew up with siblings? <clears throat> All right. How many of you are older? Okay. How many of you are the younger siblings? All right, here's what I know, okay, to be true, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Almost never in the history of siblings, very rarely will ever the firstborn child need something from the younger child. Am I right? Very rarely does the older sibling ever need anything from the youngest. But on the rare occasion 
that the oldest needs something, <laughs> the younger sibling almost hits pause. <laughs> and inside his head, he makes a list of everything valuable that the oldest has. Am I right? Come on. Everything like so. so and, and he'll start with the first thing, won't he? Just like, I want your car. <laughs> Am I right? Like, are you crazy? All right, I want all your salary from your job. I mean, just some crazy things. So I'm sitting uh, watching my boys. They're into uh, PlayStation 4. Um, last service, I said PlayStation 3, and I got crucified for it. Like, it's PlayStation 4, Dad. Okay, so they're really into PlayStation 4, and my oldest son, his controller stopped working or broke or something like this. And so he goes up, and, and he tries to make it casual. He's like, hey, uh, Israel, he's my youngest son. He goes, Is uh, can I, can I use your controller? <laughs> and, and I saw it, like it happened, like Israel like paused <laughs> and he's like, okay. Um, and no lie. This is what he goes. I want all your birthday money from last year. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, wow. Like, and he started, he was considering it. Like he was like seriously thinking, like, uh, and he's like, no, 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 I, I can't do it. And so he goes down the list <laughs> through all the things till finally he gets to, to uh, he goes, uh, give me your $5 gift card that you've been, you've been hung on for a whole year. I want that $5 gift card. And he's like, okay. I'm like, what? What just happened here? And then I remember the story. And this is exactly what's happening here. Esau comes in and he needs something. Oh, I'm so exhausted, man. I am so hungry. And Jacob shoots for the moon and he says, give me your birthright. I want your birthright. Who would do this? What kind of person would trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? What kind of person would trade their financial status their authority? What kind of person would trade the respect of their family, the respect of their church, the respect of their friends for a bowl of red stew? The truth is, all of us would for the right bowl of stew. See, you didn't know there was another character in on this story. His name's Desire. Desire whispers now, not later. This is his response. Listen to this. Esau says, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Is this the most idiotic thing you've ever heard in your life? Like you read it and you're just like, this is so stupid. I'm about to die, seriously? (laughs) You're about to die drama much, Esau, right? (laughs) Hello? I'm about to die. Psychologists have given us two terms of of what is happening in our brain in this kind of situation. Uh, The first one is is this, impact bias. Impact bias is when your brain lies to you and tells you this is an eight (laughs) when actually it's a two. (laughs) Right? You've been in this, but your mind, this is why the scriptures talk about like don't don't trust your heart. The heart is the most deceitful thing above all things because it lies to us. It's literally lying to your brain saying, no, 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 this, this car that you need, this, this um, you know, gratification, this desire, this, this food, whatever, you name it, your, your bag of Skittles, right? This thing is, is, is a nine, a 10 easily, but, 
But everyone around you looks, and just like we read this story, we're like, that doesn't make sense. It's not an eight. It's not a nine. It's like a two. And the other thing, it's called focalism, and it's happening in our brain. And focalism is when we get so, so focused on that one bag of Skittles that everything else just be kind of becomes blurry. Does that make sense? You've been, I've been there. When all you see is, I just need this. And desire whispers now, and it whispers more. And it's saying, this will gratify, this will help. And all the while, it's choking you out spiritually. This is so interesting because we've all, we've all wrestled with this. We all work through this. And I want to give you something that will help you. Because it's at this point in the story that you want to you wanna jump in your DeLorean. How many of you have seen Back to the Future? <laughs> right? You want to jump in your DeLorean, right? And you want to go back in time. Get out and say, Esau, Esau, hello. Hey, Esau. My name's Jake. I'm from the future, okay? I've seen, listen, I know the clothes are weird, okay? But just listen, you gotta listen to me, Esau, all right? Check this out. I've seen what happens in the future. And I know this bowl of stew looks really good right now. I know those Skittles you just wanna tear into, and I know you think you're dying, but listen to this. Listen to this. Stay focused, Esau. You gotta hear me out. If you take this, I'm telling you this, I know this, from your story, out of your lineage is gonna come thousands, millions of people. They're gonna be a nation. They're gonna be called the Israelites. 12 tribes will come from your children, Esau. Check this out. They're gonna go so big and grow so much that one day the the Egyptians are gonna enslave them as people. But God is going to rescue all of them. And this God, to do it, he's going to call this guy named Moses. And he's going to, he's going to draw him in by this, this bush that's burning, but it's not burning. I don't have time to explain, okay? But listen, Esau, he's going to appear, and he's going to say, I'm going to rescue your people. And when Moses asks, hey, who is it that is telling me this? Who is this God that is in front of me? This is what God of the universe is going to answer. He's going to say, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau, listen to me. Listen, you got to hear me. If you eat that bowl of stew, if you make this trade, he won't say that. He will say, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Esau, listen to me. This is so crazy. I know it's so hard to just focus in on what I'm saying. One day, this this nation of yours under your lineage is going to grow so big. And out of that lineage is going to come a person, the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's actually going to come to bring freedom for all the nations of the world. Through your lineage, he's going to come and, and... Esau, listen to me. He's going to die on a cross, and he's going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And when he does, this guy, this guy's name's Matthew. He's going to write a book about it. And it's not really a book, but we're going to call it a book. Um, and at the beginning of his book, he's going to tell the story of this Jesus. And he's going to start by giving the lineage. And he's going to say, it all started when Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Esau. And from Esau came Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. But Esau, listen to me. 
I know that bowl looks good. I know you're, thir- I know you're hungry, you want to eat. But if you make this trade, he's not going to say that. He's going to write that it came from the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Esau, I'm in the future. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But I'm not going to be there. And I have no time machine to hop back to talk to Esau. And guess what? There's going to be no one there for you either. And until you learn to reframe the picture, until you know how to reframe it so that you are seeing what Esau should have seen, you'll give in to that desire every time. And so I want to give you a question. And this question will help you reframe the picture. And it's perhaps one of the most important questions when it comes to you and your desires. And here's what it is. What do I want to see God do 20 years from now? What do I want to see God do 20 years from now in my life, in my family's life, in my lineage? What do I want to see? And listen, church, the clearer you are in your answer, the better you're able to reframe the picture. Eve, what do you want? 20 years from, I want my family to be in relationship with God. I want them to walk in the garden with us. Then don't say yes. Don't make that trade. Don't give in to the skills. And Esau, do you see the lineage? Do you see the fruit of what can... Don't make this trade. What do you want to see God do in your life? Because if you're able to reframe that, the more clear you're able to answer that question, the better. I'm 20 years old. I'm at Bible school. I know God has a call on my life. I'm delivering pizzas to pay for just living and my schooling. And I I get a pizza delivery for this house I open the door, it's like five pizzas, and this gorgeous woman opens the door, and I can easily tell from the very beginning that she's intoxicated. (laughs) And I'm here to make this transaction, and she comes up around me, and she reaches around and grabs me. (laughs) As a 20-year-old, this is like a 20-year-old's dream, right? Like, this is like, oh my gosh. But I knew how to reframe the picture. I knew what God's call on my life was. And I knew if I gave into that bowl of Skittles, then that it had the potential to steer a totally different direction in my life. Does this make sense? I dropped the pizzas where I was and I ran away. (laughs) No lie. I got in trouble because you didn't even pay. I was like, that's fine. That's okay. Okay? Because I know the direction that I'm heading. I'm able to reframe. And you need to be able to reframe that picture in your life. And here's the last thing I want to talk to you about as we close. You may be here and you may be say, Jake, my bag of Skittles, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it, in fact, maybe it's a good thing. You know, it's not a sin. Everyone's Skittles are different. My Skittles are different than your Skittles. I still have Skittles though. I still have things that are desires that whisper to me, that tempt me, that want to lure me away, right? I'm focused on God, I'm there, and then, then, then the fish hook comes, right? And snags you before you know it. 
And we talked about how James painted this picture of, of temptation being like this seed, and it grows, and it grows, and it's organic that way. It turns into uh, death eventually. Well, as much as that is a seed, there's something else that God has given you as well. And it contrasts really what, what this temptation is. And, and it's found in Jesus' in one of his par- parables uh, that I want to show you real quick. But, but I've got to give you a little context because I don't, I, I don't want to read the whole, the whole parable. But it's one of those foundational parables. It's one of those parables that if you understand it, if, you're, if, you, if you read it and you grasp it, it will help build on every other parable that Jesus gives. Does that make sense? It's the parable of the sower. And, and it talks about... Uh, the seed is thrown out on different soils, one on the like sidewalk, if you will, on the rocks, and one in good soil, and, and one in thorns. And, and each one of these seeds, which is the word of God, the life-giving spark of God, okay, that encounter with God, that presence of God, when it's planted in that seed, it, its fruit re- reflects differently depending on the soil that you plant. Does that make sense? He talks about it being one seed going into the thorns. And I want you to pay attention because it's the same Greek word that James uses when he's talking about temptation. Here's it's found in Mark chapter 4, verse 18. He's explaining the, the seed thrown in the thorns. He says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. Listen to this. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the what? desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The desires for other things. He says, here's here's what's happening. God is, you come on a Sunday and God does something unique and special in your life. And that seed goes in the soil and it begins to give a little fruit. It comes up and you're like, "This, this is awesome. This is so cool, God. I didn't know life could be like this. But then the cares of this world, the desires that we have are like thorns and it begins to choke the life out of what God is doing. Can I tell you something and be honest? I feel like we have settled in many ways for living a thorny life. We're okay with some of the even good desires and the seemingly small ones. Maybe it's the big ones, but it's choking out everything that God is trying to do in your life. And you see a little bit of fruit. You see a little bit of life, but then it chokes it out. And we've convinced ourselves so many times that this is okay. Like this, is, this must be the life. But you know it's not. Something rattles in your soul. Something stirs when you read Stuff like Jesus saying, I've come to give life and life more abundant. And you're like, oh, I don't know if that's the life I'm living. There's something choking that out. Worship band, you can come up. I want to close with this story. I didn't have it in my notes, but I was a youth pastor for many years, and we took missions trips. Man, I've taken so many missions trips. And uh, I took a group of 25 students, all high school students, uh, to London. And um, every, every missions trip is, is incredible. You know, in teenagers, it's a great environment to really, to really see God do something. But one night, 
one night we're closing up and just kind of talking about the day. And we have a microphone set up in the room. It's this old church in London that we're meeting in. And um, the mic was just available for, for people and students to just come up and pray if they wanted to, just whatever God was leading on their hearts. And uh, one kid, he comes up, and he comes up to the mic, and he just starts confessing just all these desires that he had, all these skittles that he's uh, allowed to choke out just life. And, and he just, he's like, I'm done with this. Like, I want all of God. And, and he just starts naming it. He just starts like vomiting almost. Just, this is it, this is it. And, and, and something broke. And then another student came up. I didn't prompt anything. There was no instruction to do this. And then another student came up and did the same thing and just said, this is my skittles. This is what I struggle with, and this is my sin, and this is my temptations. And you just start, and one after, one after the next, these students and leaders, adults, start, start just confessing and just laying down their skittles and saying, God, I just want all of you. I just want all of you. I don't think I've ever been in a moment in my entire life that was more holy than that moment. I've never felt the presence of God so heavy. I couldn't even talk. I was so fearful that I would ruin it somehow. What is your Skittles? Big or small? What are those desires? What are those things you're talking yourself into? And, it, and it's choking out what God's trying to do in your life. Pastor John talked a couple weeks about, about striking the arrows. About going all in. What bag of Skittles is in your hand? Don't trade your future for a bowl of Skittles. Here's how I want to close today, guys. Donnie and Camille, they're going to sing a song. It's one of my favorite hymns of all time. It's called Be Thou My Vision. It's an Irish hymn. It goes back to the late 1800s. And I love the imagery of it because it talks about a big God. And I need you to hear this, okay? Maybe you're here. Maybe you're on the front end of this. Maybe nothing's happened in your life, but you know what those Skittles are. Maybe you're on the back end and you've felt some of the repercussions, the essence of death, and maybe it's been someone else's even. There's life, there's grace, there's love for you still. Or maybe you're right in the middle of it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're even contemplating there's something that you're thinking about and you're toying with this bowl of Skittles. As Donnie sings this song, I want you to just ask that question, what is my Skittles today? And then I'm gonna come back up here and I'm gonna challenge you with something. Can you take a minute to just look inside? Don't worry about the person next to you. 
Don't worry about what you gotta do later today because right now this could be the most important moment for the next 20 years of your life. Can we do that? keeping you from the life that Jesus wants for you? What is holding you back? What is choking, slowly choking the fullness of what God wants to do in you and your family? What is that? What is that Skittles that you're holding? It could be something large or small. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to do something so bold. And the question is, is how bad do you want this? 
no matter how big your Skittles is, no matter how great or small it is, I'm going to count to three. And on three, I'm going to ask if that's you and you have something you want to lay down and say, I want the life-giving freedom that Jesus gives. I want you to walk up here and throw it up on the stage. Lay it down. Lay it down. We're going to have teams up here that will pray with you. Some of you, listen to me, some of you, you need to confess it. You need to speak it, to loose it. You need to say, this is it. This no longer has to choke out. God has so much more for me. God has so much more for you. You have no idea the potential that God has for you. Are you ready for this? If you're feeling nervous, your heart's shaking, that's okay. I know this could potentially change the rest of your life. Are you ready? Here we go. If that's you, one, two, three. Come on, come on, come on. If that's you, come lay it down. Yes, yes, yes. Don't let that thing hold you back. It's a new life. It's a new, God wants you to be free, man. He wants you to experience all of him. Yes. Come on, let's sing that, Donnie. Oh, God, be my everything. Be my not just for this church, God, but for individuals too. God, be upon them. Give them the favor of God. Give them the strength to reframe the picture, God. And now, Jubilee, mm, a closing word of benediction. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May you in the thick of your temptation be able to reframe the picture and live the dream that God has for you and your family. We love you guys. The worship team's gonna continue to worship.
Those of you that need to go, you can stay if you want, uh, but you're officially dismissed. We love you and we'll see you next week.